Have you wondered about living elsewhere in your retirement? Well, we have almost daily. No, it's not a simple decision, especially when two people are involved. Hi, this is Gil and Jean of Retire There, a podcast about retirement destinations. We live in Brooklyn, New York, having grown up and worked in this area of the country. We're hoping to relocate when we're both retired. For us, it's the weather, the chaos, the noise, and the yearning to be near nature and not within three feet of human beings. <laughs> That's right. In February 2020, we embarked on our journey to find that special place. We spent a week in Winter Park, Florida, which is beautiful, but something said it wasn't for us. As we were planning for the next trip, the pandemic arrived. Jean then gave birth. I gave birth? To this podcast. With so many baby boomers retiring, many must be relocating. Why not connect with and learn from them? Here's a little background about us. I'm Asian, born in Brazil, and grew up in Flatbush, Brooklyn. I'm an engineer turned attorney turned podcaster. I recently retired from a university career practicing higher education law. I love the academic environment, but it was time to do something else. I no longer have to set an alarm, drive in BQE traffic, or work with people who don't always share the same principles. Oh, did I just say that? <laughs> you bet I did. I traded all that in to binge crime dramas into the wee hours just a little bit to develop the podcast, to volunteer, practice metal smithing, tackle our possessions. No regrets so far, Jane. I'm not Asian, and as Gil mentioned, I'm not retired. I'm just plain tired. Born and raised in Long Island, New York, a place I always wanted to leave. I'm a law librarian working in a court who loves his job, but we're retired by the time we select our ideal location. We will be speaking to folks from across the street to across the globe who have moved to their dream venues and more. So please stay tuned. And remember, if you know anyone who has moved anywhere for retirement, let us know. Thank you. Hi, all. Today, we'll be chatting with Bob Peake about living in Cottonwood, Arizona. If you're a longtime listener, you may remember that Bob was our guest on episode five. Gene, that's like 90 episodes wow, ago. I can't remember that. <laughs> when he talked about living in Sedona, Arizona, and that was November 2020. Surprisingly, he and his wife, Irene, relocated from Sedona to Cottonwood in 2021. So we're still in Arizona, folks but in a different area. Located virtually in the center of Arizona, Cottonwood is a charming small town of about 12,000 residents. It's surrounded by the Mongolian Rim in the northeast and the stunning red rocks of Sedona in the west. The town features a mild climate that is somewhere between the sizzling heat of the Phoenix area <laughs> and the cool mountain air of Flagstaff, making it a true year-round destination. Cottonwood is part history lesson, part river town, and part wine trail. Its historic old town section dates back to the early 1900s, when it was a center for the area's mining and smelter industry. Today, historic Old Town comprises about 60 businesses, which includes 13 cafes and restaurants, five wine tasting rooms, nine antique stores. Oh, that must be fun. Seven art galleries and five hotels. Jane? Bob retired from a 34-year career as an attorney with the New York State court system. Better than a quarter century of that time was spent at one of the more prominent appellate courts in the country, significant for its location in Manhattan and the review of decisions involving leading corporations and state and local administrative agencies. And I also worked there. That's how I met Bob. His interests include home renovation, audio, particularly acoustics and speaker design and construction, also computer technology. He most recently designed a Java relational database programs for a local nonprofit. He also likes photography and horseback riding. Irene his wife spent a 40-year career in employee communications, including benefits consulting, marketing communications, and executive communications. She worked for Canyon USA, then for two prominent consulting firms, and finally, 14 years at the largest hospital network in New York State. Her activities largely revolve around art, specifically collage, painting and sculpture, and mahjong. One of my favorite games, or should I say sport. Hi, Bob, and welcome back to Retire There. Last we spoke, you were raving about living in Sedona. What made you and Irene move 20 miles away to Cottonwood? Well, when we moved to Sedona, we were lucky to find a 
largely residential community, meaning people lived there year round. They weren't snowbirds. It was largely families. And the rental properties that existed were long-term rentals because the law back then was three months at a minimum. About a year and a half, two years after we got to Sedona in December of 2015, Governor Ducey and the Republican legislature introduced a bill that prevented any locality from stopping the owner of a one or two family home from renting it out on the short-term rental market. It was originally cloaked as something to help with a family, a homeowner who might need the income, but there was no limitation in the bill for who could own and operate the single family home, which was really a short-term rental and, and more like a motel. Well, there was a lot available at the other end of our street, two short blocks away. And somebody built a so-called one-family home with 10 bedrooms, a swimming pool, a bar. Wow. And bedrooms. clearly it was motel masquerading as a single family home. Sure, oh sure. God. But that's what the law allows. What the bill does is take an area of regulation, which is normally the province of the locality, the city or the mm -hmm. county, and has arrogated it to the state. And if you look at the bill, the first page is the substance of the law. No locality can stop the homeowner from renting out his home in the short-term market. And the other 25 pages all deal with tax provisions, the substance of which is the taxes from this go to the state. It's quite a piece of legislation and obviously a gift to the real estate industry. Yeah. <laughs> As those of us who have done landlord-tenant work in New York well know, and I, I would really love to know how much the Republican Party and how much Governor Ducey benefited from pushing that particular piece of legislation through. Oh, my God. Well, the upshot of this is what was once a completely residential community is now more and more short-term rentals. Wow. And that is true across the entire city of Sedona. It is becoming very hard to find an affordable place to live because as soon as something comes on the market, it's grabbed by somebody who wants to operate it as a short-term rental property for renting it for hundreds of dollars a day. Is, is Airbnb buying all these or, or is it a big company who's buying them? It's a whole smorgasbord. There are some corporations who've gotten into it. Mm -hmm. But a lot of homeowners uh, or people who wanted to invest in a single family home that they could rent out on the short term rental market have all become involved in it. And that's such a tourist destination. They're going to make money uh, easily, right? Well, probably. Although lately it's been a bit sparse. I don't know if it's the heat. And I think largely it has to do with the recession that's coming on. Price of gas. People don't want to make that hour and a half drive from Phoenix to Sedona or even points north to get away from the heat. My next door neighbor who operates writing concessions was telling me that he's never seen Sedona as dead in the summer as it has been this summer. And that's odd because while we were living there, they have a big problem with traffic, especially around the, the say, the Christmas holidays and yeah, that kind of thing. Somebody did a study and the conclusion was on any given day in Sedona with a population of 10,000 people, there are something like 40,000 visitors passing wow. through. And most of them do pass through. They don't stay there. They're on their, they're, they're either on their way to points north, Slide Rock Park, that kind of thing, up to Flagstaff, or they're, they're day trippers, generally from Phoenix. So Sedona is probably about 15 degrees cooler than Phoenix and probably about 15 degrees warmer than Flagstaff on any given day. So the problem with, with Sedona is being a tourist destination, you realize that it is operated for the benefit of the tourists mm. and not for the residents. It's a beautiful place to visit, but... Yeah, I guess tough to live there, right? It is. And it was considered an expensive community when we moved there. Mm -hmm. Now, with all the short-term rentals, it's much more so. I didn't find it all that expensive. I bought a home that was a bit larger than the one I moved from in Great Neck. I had twice as much land, very pretty setting near the Chapel of the Holy Cross, and two-thirds of the price what I sold my home in Great Neck for. So uh, while it's an expensive community, it didn't seem all that expensive to us moving from New York. And it's probably the same experience from people moving 
to this part of the world from California. And in, in Sedona, what are single family houses going for now? I sold our home, which was 2,400 square feet, with a main home and an attached casita of 800 square feet for just shy of a million dollars. Oh, wow. And it was bought by a dentist from the uh, from the Phoenix area who is renting it out on Airbnb. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So that just gives you an idea of the dynamics of the market at this point. Well, that's good that you made a profit. I made a very nice profit selling that house. Same was true of the house in Great Neck. I've been involved in, in home renovation since I'm 14. My first <laughs> job was to rewire a house my dad had bought. Back in those days, anybody could, the homeowner could do basically any of the yeah. trades in his own home. Now it has to be a licensed professional. You could have gone a lot of different places. What made you go to Cottonwood? Yeah. How did that come up? Well, it goes back to my riding buddy, Ernesto. And you talk about horse riding, right? Horseback riding. Horseback riding. And his mare, Cece. I never really thought much about horses. You know, means of transportation, that was about it. So one day I'm I'm stroking her on the nose and she did something very ingratiating. She gave me a little love nibble. And I thought, wow, this is really an affectionate animal. So I got an estimate. I wanted to take a ride. And so I'm going to get on a horse. Goes, no, she's only two years old. She's a little green yet. I don't trust her. So he ponied her, meaning he got on, on his uh, stallion and with a 15 foot lead rope, he led Cece along with me sitting on her. And we just did a little tour around the neighborhood, maybe half a mile, three quarters of a mile. We get back and he's taking the saddle off and I'm standing next to Cece and she takes her big head and she just rubs it up and down my body. Oh my goodness. Oh my well, she took I a thought, liking to you, Peek. Yes. And <laughs> she is to blame for everything that followed. <laughs> so what transpired was I took an interest in horseback riding. I took my first riding lesson a few days short of my 71st birthday. Wow. Wow. After a few lessons, everybody said, look, you, you're good in the saddle and and uh, this is obviously something you take to. And Ernesto, with his massive number of friends and relatives and what have you, had people scouring the country looking for a horse for me. As luck would have it, my older mare, Sol, was bought from, I think she was 18 at the time, from a gal who lives not five minutes away from Ernesto in Rimrock. That was to be the end of it. Well, a month or so later, Irene and I are down at Ernesto's. He's not home. And and there in, in a pen is my younger horse, Katrina. Very pretty painted, blue eyes. We went over to her, petted her, put an arm around her. She was just fine with it. And when he came home, I said, Ernesto, that's a really lovable horse. And he says, yeah, everybody sees her falls in love with her. So uh, at some point I had to take Sol down to Ernesto's for some remedial training and for him to check her out in various ways, health-wise, what have you. And he put her in the same pen as Katrina. And the two mares instantly bonded. And at that point, it became a package deal. There was no separating <laughs> them. If I take Sol off to go for a trail ride somewhere up north, the whinnying out of Katrina is furious. Same thing if I take Katrina very far away from Seoul, they have separation anxiety. If you have a horse and it looks like you're getting two horses, of course, you need a place to stable them. Uh, I was wondering. Paying so many stable horses is expensive. So it became a matter of finding either a ranch property or something that could be turned into a ranch property. And I found out very quickly that there are two great truths about ranch properties, and that's that they are few and far between and they are very expensive. So we saw this house and my interest in it is, although it's only two acres, it's adjoining federal parkland, which means you can go right on federal parkland trails without having to trail your horse anywhere. The wash at the bottom of my property leads up to a whole trail system in the Mingus Mountain foothills. If you take the right set of trails, you can work your way all the way up to the top of Mingus Mountain, which is... 6,800 feet. And there's a whole campground up there. I'm not that ambitious. It would probably take you about eight hours to get up there, but that's one of the possibilities. So the transaction actually worked out very nicely because we basically sold at the height of the housing market with people wanting to buy Airbnbs. And we bought this place from uh, a couple who needed the money from the sale to build their new home, which is the lot next to me. 
Ah. Oh my God. <laughs> really? And they have, they have four acres up there. Yeah. So they started construction of this place a couple of years ago. They're still not moved in. There's a lot of construction going on right in this area. And construction crews are hard to come by. It's hard to get people to show up. Work gets done kind of piecemeal, unless it's a developer who's putting together a series of homes, in which case they get the construction crews and they get the pros who do it sure. fast. One of the things we thought to do when we got here was to put up an addition to this place. We have scratched that deal. It is just too much trouble. Uh, in the old days, you hand things over to an architect or a contractor. They take care of everything. Doesn't work that way anymore. You have to be hands on and keeping on top of everybody. And that's just too much hassle. I have to tell you, Bob, I'm looking at a, a photograph of your house in Cottonwood. It's really large. It's beautiful with the mountains in the background. Mm -hmm. Why do you need an addition? That's a big house. That's a yeah, big old house. That's a good question. Uh, actually, we're kind of we're kind of cramped here. We went from 2,800 square feet to 2,000 square feet. Ten rooms to the equivalent of six. Wait, so how many bedrooms? Give us the details. In this bedrooms? house? Yeah. yeah. There are three bedrooms. This okay. is the master bedroom. There's a guest bedroom and there's another room that Basically, um, we're using as an exercise room and to store Irene's arts and crafts stuff. And how many the, bathrooms? Uh, there are three bathrooms. And it's just the two of you, yes? Just the two of us. Okay. It looks like it's There's, two. Is it two floors? <laughs> no, it's just one. Oh, it's it, just it, one. It, this is very steep property. What you're looking at is the, okay. the pillar supporting the front porch. Oh, it's not ah. It's not a livable space. See, it looks on the bottom. In the yeah. Photo. Okay. So, oh, so that's the, good. It's just it, one floor. I must say it's well laid out. The architect made a good use of space. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a typical Southwestern home. You have a great room, which is kind of like a Manhattan loft. You've got your kitchen, your dining area, and your living area all in the same space. And uh, that space is about 850 square feet, I think. And you have to go so, up steps. Are there a lot of steps to get up there? No, the driveway is not it's on, it's quite on the hill. level with the house, but uh, very close to the front entrance. You can come right into the garage, which is on the same level as everything. If we become old and infirm, it'll be a, a reasonable place to live. As far as keeping horses, it was an engineering feat to put in a 50-foot round pen. The, the hill had to be terraced. They paid for, I think, three truckloads of fill. Wow. At 600 bucks a load, I think, something cool. like that. And then the the corral is a 100 by 100 foot pen, but that's on a pretty steep slope. You get a lot of a lot of exercise just walking around there, mucking out in the morning. It's a very healthy lifestyle. Really? Yeah. yeah. The heat of the summer, I'm up at anywhere between five and six to wow. get chores done before it gets really hot. Because I'm originally from the north of England. I built for the cold and damp, not the hot and humid. <laughs> okay. Are the housing costs in Cottonwood substantially less than the housing costs in Sedona? Yes, absolutely. This place is 10 years old. We bought it for 660 Nice. Nice. I found it. I thought Irene was going to take one look at the great room with timber ceiling and tell me, eh, don't like it. It looks like Teddy Roosevelt's hunting lodge. <laughs> exactly the opposite. She took one look at it and fell in love with it. Wow. Oh, that's great. The view here is is pretty spectacular. You have Mingus Mountain to the southwest and to the north, you can see the Red Rocks of Sedona. And above that, the San Francisco peaks north of Flagstaff. It okay. is a spectacular view. Never gets old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah, beautiful. Yeah. I can see. What's the weather like year round? The weather here, believe it or not, um, I got up one morning. It was 80 degrees here. We're 65 in Sedona. And we're at the same elevation. We're about really? 4,200 feet. But Sedona, I think, gets cool air coming down the canyon. And we get hot air from a mountain that has an eastern exposure. So it's in sunlight all day. It warms the place up. And the only respite here is that we generally have a breeze. So it's pretty warm year round. I assume everything is air conditioned. Oh, yes. But as we said before, it's a lot cooler than Phoenix and a lot warmer than up north. But what about at night? It doesn't cool down here as much as it does in Sedona. Okay. That's why the the morning temperature, 15 degree difference, by the end of the afternoon, probably 
three to five degrees or less. It does not cool down that much overnight. In the wintertime, it doesn't get that cold. We haven't had snow since we've been here. You know, I don't think of Arizona and snow in the same well, sense. North they have snow. Yeah, yeah, further for the Flagstaff speaking. has plenty. Where is the nearest airport? The nearest airport, actually Cottonwood has a pretty good airport. You can land uh, executive jets at Cottonwood. Same with Sedona. But it's not a commercial airport, is it? it? It isn't, no. You would have to drive to Phoenix to fly anywhere. And how far is Phoenix? Phoenix is about 90 minutes to the airport. That's not so bad. Phoenix has a, a huge highway system, and they keep improving it, and you generally don't face delays. You're approaching downtown Phoenix, and people are doing 65 miles an hour in a 55-mile-an-hour zone. And it's six, eight lanes wide in each direction. They take very good care of the roads here. All right, let's move on to healthcare. If I remember correctly, last time we spoke to you about, about Sedona, you said Sedona does not have a hospital, but Cottonwood does. Is that correct? That's correct. The Sedona Medical Center is an adjunct to the one here. This is a fairly major center. In terms of healthcare, I would say, for instance, dentistry. There are better dentists in the Sedona area this part of the world, than I had in Great Neck, which was home to, as you said, the hospital system where my wife worked, which is the largest employer in the state of New York. So in other areas like cancer care, Sedona actually has an excellent cancer facility. You're talking about Sedona or Cottonwood? I'm talking about Sedona. Oh, wow. Irene had a little lump removed, had a lumpectomy, and she was treated by a Dr. Dupree. Dr. Dupree makes her home in Sedona, but she travels all over the world giving lectures about cancer care. The care here is pretty good. I broke my leg a couple of years ago skiing. Unfortunately, I drove home not knowing I had a broken leg. Only afterwards did I find out I should have stayed in Flagstaff because they have one of the best orthopedic centers in the state. Medical care, it's certainly available. I haven't felt there's any problem with it. The downside being that we discovered that where we live is outside of any fire district's coverage. Primarily, fire districts here don't provide fire response. They provide emergency medical response. So if you need to get an ambulance up here, that's going to cost you, I think, $1,500 plus a per hour fee for everybody who shows up with it. Wow. I hope my insurance will cover that should it ever come to pass. <laughs> but having said that, I mean, the, the fires you hear about and the fires that are a problem are the wildfires. I think in, in Sedona, in the in the five years we lived there, there were four or five fire calls that we really remember. One was the 10-bedroom, 10-bathroom house that they were building at the other end of Eagle Lane. <laughs> Supposedly, there was welding going on there during the day. I'm not sure somebody didn't torch the place, but who knows? They rebuilt it. And it still isn't open yet, but uh, it, when it when it opens up, it's it's going to be quite an impact on that on that neighborhood. If there's a fire, not a wild fire in Cottonwood, which service shows up? Cottonwood, the city proper, has its own fire department. Okay. Further down the hill from us is a, a big development along a road called Quail Run. They are covered by, uh, I think it's the, the Verde Valley Fire District. We are not. We are about two miles up a it's a county-maintained road, but it's not a very wide road. There are only about 30 homes up here, and we're out of everybody's jurisdiction. We did get a letter from the, the fire chief of the Verde Valley Fire District who said that if you want to contract with them to provide fire coverage, the cost will be your property taxes plus an additional 10% handling fee. That's over the property taxes you're already paying. Wait a minute. Wow. This is individual families that contract? Yes. You I've can contract with huh. them to provide fire coverage, but it's going to run you about 3500 bucks a year. It's like insurance. Wow. I mean, basically. Like I say, fire is a very seldom thing here. People are very careful. The brush can be tinder dry and somebody drops a cigarette and yeah. you start a wildfire. So people tend to be very cautious. They don't smoke outside. I was in Sedona for over a year when I sold my first cigarette butt in a parking lot. <laughs> you just don't see it. I think I've only ever seen one person, and it was in the bank parking lot, and she was obviously taking a break having a cigarette. But that's the only time I've seen somebody smoking outdoors. It's just something that's 
foremost in everybody's mind here is 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 fire prevention. Well, that's okay. interesting. Okay. If we can go back to healthcare for a moment. So Bob, basically, even though you moved 20 miles away, it seems as if you're still using the healthcare uh, facilities or services of Sedona. Is that accurate? Yeah. Hospital Center in Sedona is, is located in what they call West Sedona. We can get there inside of half an hour. Our dentist is in the same vicinity, so we still use the same dentist. For other services, it's a mix. Other than that, the medical center here is pretty good. They provide good service. There's a pretty good radiology center. I haven't really used them much. Good. Fortunately, I'm unhealthy, but I'm I'm told that the care there is quite good. And when you say there, you mean the Cottonwood Hospital, right? I mean, Cottonwood. If you need more extensive care, Flagstaff is from here, 40 minutes away. And then Phoenix, which is an hour or so, depending on where you're going in Phoenix. All right. I have a question. You talk about you're outside of the city of Cottonwood. How far are you from the historic old town in Cottonwood? I can get to the edge of town. I measured by Home Depot because I make so many trips there. <laughs> I can get to Home Depot in about 12 minutes. Nice. Uh, so that's that's the edge of town. Old Town Cottonwood is going to be another 10 minutes or so. It's not terribly far. And Old Town Cottonwood, let me tell you, that's a gem. It's a bargain. People, they go out to eat in Sedona. Well, aside from the sushi restaurant, the food in Sedona is generally overpriced and overrated. In Cottonwood, the prices are lower, the quality is better, and it's uniformly better. Nice. So the biggest problem you have in Old Town Cottonwood is parking can get a little dicey. If there are a lot of people going out to dinner, you have to hunt for a parking spot. Manhattan, not a problem. Uh, yeah. Uh, we, right. we can't compare we, Manhattan. We live in Brooklyn, Bobby. Tell us about parking in Cottonwood. Come on. Come on yeah. yeah. I, I used to live in Queens once upon a time. Okay. That was pretty okay. tough, too. Historic old town. It's it sounds like a really cool old western town. Is that is that what it's like? Does it look like an old dusty town? It's not real old. It's kind of like Lower Manhattan. They're older buildings and they've been well maintained. There's all kinds of different food available. Like you say, you have wine tasting rooms. You've got pizzerias, burger joints, even a a little cafe like the Red Rooster offers really good food, locally sourced, well. All made, very good service, very cozy atmosphere. Can you get ethnic and, foods? Mm, that's a little dicier. If you go by the typical Chinese restaurant, there's one we ate at in Sedona. I, I think I hadn't, I probably hadn't had Chinese food in several years. We go to the restaurant and it was just not very good. Now, since I worked for a Chinese judge whose family owned restaurants, I'm, I was used to very good Chinese food. Here, you're not going to get it. On the other hand, the sushi restaurant in Sedona, Heroes, is excellent. There were two very good sushi restaurants in Great Neck. Heroes is every bit as good. Having said that, the prices are comparable. There are no bargains when it comes to good sushi. So yeah, you can get ethnic food, but it varies in its quality. What is the cost of the amenities? What kinds of, what are the taxes like, as well as gas, electric, internet? things like that. Internet, I'll start with that because I had so much trouble with it. Internet was, when we first got here, was very expensive, only available through Viasat. I think I was paying $230 a month for really lousy service. Made me long for the days of 440 lines of resolution and a visible 14 kilohertz sync signal. It was pretty terrible and very expensive. So recently, T-Mobile introduced their 5G wireless network service. It took a couple of weeks back and forth with tech support to get that running properly, but I have had very little trouble with internet service since. Phone service is VOIP with UMA over the T-Mobile network. That runs, I think I'm, I'm paying $20, $30 a month for that. T-Mobile is $55 for the internet service and another $15, $20 for each phone line. You don't have like a package deal, right? Cable, streaming? Well, well, not really. Things tend to be a la carte, but the nice thing about T-Mobile is it's, it's 55 a month for your internet service. There's no contract. You're not locked oh. into a particular oh, nice. period of time. And so far, so good. I'm streaming 4K video, no problem. Oh, nice. You are 
off the beaten path. We don't have water. We don't have sewer. So you have a septic system and you have a well. You get used to the idea that you've got to provide a certain amount of your your own services. You don't have a, a city that's responsible for the quality of the water you drink. That's your responsibility. Septic, same thing. Any kind of services that you normally expect to be provided by a city are going to be on a contract basis, and it's going to cost you quite a bit of money. In Great Neck, we had three pickups a week, and Saturday was you could put appliances out. I'm limited to about a 100-gallon container per week. And if you want to get rid of a refrigerator, you have to take it to the dump. And if it still has refrigerant in it, they're going to charge you 75 bucks to drop that thing off. Wow. So a lot of things you get used to being provided for you in a, in a major city, you're on your own. And it's hard to get rid of things like trash. If you do brush clearing, somebody has to take it to the dump. That's 80 bucks to drop it off, plus the time wow. it takes to drive there. It gets to be expensive. What about electricity? APS is very reliable. We have had, I think, one brief outage lasted a few hours. And that was it. And they have a phone app. You can see where the outages are. They'll tell you when they expect service to be restored, that kind of thing. They're very good about that. We also have a, a solar power unit on the house. I'm thinking of expanding it and getting a battery hookup. But so far, I don't see any real pressing need to do that, but it's just something in the back of my mind. Do you use gas for cooking? No, everything here is electricity. If you want gas, you have to have a propane tank installed and get a service to fill that regularly. Here, that's pretty expensive. You're, you're better off sticking with the electricity. Yeah. And it sounds like you need a car, obviously, living there. Yes. Two cars, both four-wheel drive. There is the car, and then there's one of those adjunct expenses to owning a horse. You buy a horse. You have to get all the accessories. Soul was $3,500 and Katrina was 4000 which is not at all expensive, especially for Soul. I was told by my riding instructor that if you can find a good mature horse, tolerant of a, a novice rider, expect to pay about 10 grand. Wow. Well, that's well, one of the I, hobby checkoff points. So you only paid four for for her, right? Four for Soul. Uh, no, $3,500 for Soul oh. and 4000 for Katrina, the baby. Wow. <laughs> She's only 30 months and still too young to ride. Well, she's gorgeous. Uh, then, of course, you need a trailer. Uh, a trailer cost me fourteen grand. Wow. A new one is priced at over twenty, but that's not the actual going rate. I actually found somebody in Southern Utah with a comparable unit for sale. He wanted just shy of twenty nine thousand for it. Oh my, oh my goodness. God. Well, you know, it's a good thing you have two acres. I mean, two acres for six sixty sounds much better than here, where you might just get a garage, right, Gene? Yeah, hell yeah. yeah. So what about real estate taxes? You didn't yes. tell us about that. Real estate taxes here are a bargain. I think in Great Neck for 0.15 acre, I was paying 14000 a year. All right, folks. Uh, that's Great Neck, New York, in Long Island. I just want to remind you. On everyone. the North Shore, very On expensive. The North- taxes here, I think, run less than 2000 a year, around 2000 a year, something like that. Wow, that wow. that's where you get the bargain. Yeah. Oh, so it's a good thing you you save ten grand for the horses. Good for you, Bob. Well, <laughs> then then the, then there's the truck to pull that horse trailer. Oh my god! <laughs> and you got to feed them. Yeah, you got to feed them, man. Yeah, feeding them is uh, you're probably talking about four hundred dollars a month for the two horses. Wow, four hundred a month. To, wow. What do you yeah, feed them? I mean. I don't even eat uh, that much. Yes, you do. Pellets, hay, <laughs> um, uh, and, and just general care items. It's fortunate it's not an expensive hobby. Yeah, it's, I'm going to stick to my hobby of uh, jewelry. I only use precious metals, but they, they're not on the order of your horses. <laughs> Can I now move to eating, Gene? How close is or what's the nearest supermarket or where you guys uh, pick up food? The nearest market is Fry's, which is next to Home Depot, which you can get to in 15 minutes. Oh, huh. um, Fry's. There's uh, a Safeway a little further away. I'll probably take you 20 minutes or so to get to. Cottonwood is where Sedona is a tourist town. Cottonwood is a family 
town. It's more commercial. It has more business, not just tourist business, but all around. So you can find furniture stores and appliance stores. There are three or four big car dealers here. Car service is easy. There's big old tires that will do your general maintenance, and there are mechanics who will do more elaborate stuff. It's an interesting part of the world because there aren't a lot of jobs with big corporations. So people either work for a, a small business or they're out on their own. It's a very entrepreneurial area. So you can you can find people who will do things like welding my fencing for my corrals. Yeah, you can have Yavapai fence come in and they'll charge you an arm and a leg and they'll do a really good job, but you probably don't want to pay three times as much as what I paid to have the same work done. Wow. I have a related shopping question. Say I moved to Cottonwood and I want to live like the locals. I want a nice handmade cowboy hat. Is there a store for that? Uh, there is a cowboy shop near the Safeway. And I, I have bought a couple of hats from them and some Western shirts, boots, that kind of thing. There is Tractor Supply, which is over by the airport, and that takes about half an hour to get to. They have a fair inventory of, of Western-style clothing, but a lot okay. of it's uh, more than work wear. See ya. All right. That was, that was a very useful question for the uh, majority of our audience. Bob. I'm telling you, does you, Irene, you gotta buy a cowboy hat. Does Irene still play Mahjong or is it 20 miles too far? Uh, no, she she goes to Sedona to play Mahjong. It's getting together with, with friends and neighbors. There's also uh, a game locally here that's in Cornville, which is 20 minutes away. So yeah, she, she still plays Mahjong and she travels a bit to do it, but she's happy to to do it to see people. So are you both happy that you moved to Cottonwood? Yes. Yes, very. I think we got out of Sedona while the getting was good. Financially, it worked out well because uh, we probably pulled out about $300,000 in equity out of the deal. Wow. Yeah. Which was probably a couple of hundred thousand that went to buying horse trailers and trucks and <laughs> renovating this place as a ranch. But I was out on a little cattle drive, probably in the fall. The ranch manager's wife works in real estate. And primarily what she does is hook up people who are looking for properties with local real estate agents. Huh. But one thing she specializes is in ranch properties. And I said to her while we were writing, I said, I don't know the market, but I would guess that a ranch property would probably go for twice as much as the same property merely used as a residence. And she said, yeah, about that. So I've always looked at real estate as an investment as much as a place to live. I said to Irene, if, if we never have a horse on this property, I'm going to turn it into a working ranch yes, because yeah. its value will be so much more. And so you've done that, right? I've done that. Yeah. yeah wow. And here I am thinking a ranch property is one level home. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, you know, the ranch properties versus the other properties. And I'm like, I'm looking for a ranch, but not necessarily for horses. <laughs> the other thing about this area is, I, I mean, I learned very early on that if you're going to renovate, you might as well do it in a wealthier area because it's going to cost you roughly the same amount of money to do the renovations. Hmm. In the wealthier area, you're just going to be able to sell it for so much more. So uh, You know what they say, buy the, buy the cheapest house in the best block. Right. Um, my father used to say, buy the eyesore on the block and fix yeah. it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this place was was not an eyesore at 10 years old. You know, it, it's fairly modern home. Yeah, it's but nice. Yeah. I have come to expect that when you buy a home, you're going to have problems that you have to solve. This place needed right off the bat, it needed a new roof. Already? It was about 30 grand. When they built this place, they cut some corners because they ran out of money doing it. And so what they did is they put on what's called a hot mop roof. And then they did it what in New York would be strictly commercial style. They put down stone granules on top of that. It was really too much for the house. It, it probably contributed to the cracking of the stucco. Oh my God. So Ernesto figures they probably took about 8,000 pounds of rock off the roof. Oh, oh my goodness. Um, That's insane. And then the stucco needed to be replaced because the finish they used was very pretty, but just not very durable. And so that was another 
25 grand, something like that to replace. So these were unexpected costs. Yeah. Because I'm assuming when you looked at the place, you wouldn't have known that 8,000 pounds of stone was going to come in. I I didn't. No, no, that was, that was a bit of a shock, but that wouldn't have been a deal breaker anyway. I was going to buy this property, even if it did require major work right off the bat. The other thing that happened was last summer, our Air conditioning died. We replaced it with a comparable unit, same manufacturer. And the guy who put it in for us said, you know, there was nothing wrong with the old unit, except they used the wrong kind of solder and it had some abuse. He put the same kind of system in and it works absolutely great. So they not only cut corners on how they did things, but they cut corners on who did it for them. You renovate houses, you get used to this. Like I say, not a deal breaker. I was going to buy this house just because it adjoins federal land. You can ride out onto the trail system and yeah, it was yeah. a property that could be converted into a ranch. No, no, we understand. Sounds great. Yeah. Those are the criteria. I think we've covered everything that we wanted to. Any words of wisdom for folks who are looking to buy in your area? Well, it's going to be easier to find a house now that mortgage rates have gone up. Speaking from someone with experience, the first house that we owned in Great Neck cost less than $150,000, which is considered a bargain at the time. Especially for Great Neck. <laughs> but yeah. the mortgage rate was 13 and 3 eighths percent. Oh, my oh, goodness. Wow. What year was that, Bob? That would have been- The 80s? Just around 1980. It was when they were- raising interest rates to combat inflation, which if they were doing it now would destroy the economy. They raised rates that high. If you're willing to pay them the money and you can afford it, you'll find a house without too much trouble. The last couple of years, that's been very tough. Housing here has become a bit squeezed. There hasn't been that much building going on. And in this area in particular, you're hemmed in by federal land. So there just isn't that much real estate available to buy to build a house on. The situation here is a lot better than it is in, say, Sedona. In many ways, this area is like a microcosm of the New York City area. Traffic is a problem. Affordable housing is a problem. It's not really expensive, but it's not cheap either. So especially with housing costs and the general inflation we've been seeing anyway, people are feeling squeezed. We looked online and it looks like you can get a, a nice house for in the in the 400 range and you can get other houses for less expensive that aren't as nice. Is that is that correct? You think? I think there's much in less Cottonwood? property in the ones we're looking at. Yeah. If, yeah. if you're coming from New York, especially from the New York City area, and I I include a good chunk of Long Island, a good chunk of New Jersey along with that, this place is like a 50% off sale. You get so much more for your money, and then your maintenance costs are so much lower. Property taxes and taxes in general, the one tax that is high in the whole state of Arizona is sales tax. That's the way that the state makes its money to run the government. What is the sales tax? About 10%. But yeah. then again, other taxes are so much lower. But it does so, look like you, get, you can get a nice, a decent house for in the 300 or 400 range from yeah. looking online. If you're not looking to build a corral or yeah, if you, a if, round pen. <laughs> if you don't need a ranch. Yeah. There are a good number of retired people here. And there are a few homes that apparently they're not lived in. There was one I happened to look up because they were burning brush and on a very windy day. And I didn't think that was very oh, advisable. <laughs> um, but it turns out that was owned by a corporation based in Connecticut. And I'm not exactly sure what the property is used for, maybe just an investment, but there's not a tremendous amount of activity up here. I can take Soul out on the local streets and ride her up the hill and very often not even encounter a car. So Yeah, he's in a different section of (laughs) Cottonwood than the ones you're looking at on Zillow. Okay. (laughs) Because yeah. <laughs> those homes are yeah. like on top of each other. I mean, you know, still, no, still they're, nice. They're nice. Yeah. yeah. This area zone agricultural two acre minimum. Ah, Meaning okay. You can have chickens. You're going to have cows. Yeah. Uh, it, people don't. Yeah. But the fellow next to me, he bought the two acre parcel between us. Mm-hmm. And he was going to turn that into a roping arena because oh. <laughs> his sons are all involved in rodeo. Wow. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah. It's a different part of the world. 
I go through Rimrock. What are the kids doing? Well, they're out on little ATVs and they're gas powered and they do a decent speed. And that's what they've got for a toy. I like People that. have heavy equipment parked in their driveways. Cedo's got a big front loader right now on the property. People up the hill have uh, backhoes and tractors, that kind of thing. One of my neighbors here is a retired guy who's got a, a rather nice tractor. It's that change of, of attitude. And I, I think having gone to this whole idea of uh, being a, a, a horse person, I won't say a cowboy, that's not my interest, but Having taken up horseback riding late in life, I think from my experience, I developed the idea that when you retire, you're basically coming away from a job with a certain amount of post-traumatic stress. And depending on how demanding the job is, that may be major or minor. Yes. But the point is, retirement is like a journey through therapy in getting away from that. Yes, Exactly. I've been trying to say this. One thing you have to be careful of is when you retire, don't be too keen to volunteer. I ended up as treasurer of the Sedona Camera Club, a position I held for five years. It wasn't until I got a horse that it occurred to me there was something wrong. And the way it came about is I realized that Soul was a little bit afraid of me. I'm thinking why I realized that it was a demanding job. And I got involved in computerizing the whole function, which was also demanding. And I was walking around like a bear with a sore head. And horses will instantly pick up on your mood. Wow. So after an especially nasty incident where a lot of pain Payments, well, there were uh, probably eight or 10 payments that were either not reported to me, not reported accurately. And trying to do forensic accounting was a nightmare because I didn't have a name. All I had was a transaction number (laughs) and an amount and a date. And after spending a week and a half sorting that out, I said, that's it. I am not putting up with this any longer. People were paying dues online and they weren't being properly recorded. I had no input on how those transactions were handled or who did it. PayPal is great. Other people, not so good. So having given that up, I'm no longer getting, you know, looked at askance by my horses. They're much easier to deal with. I've been relieved of a lot of stress. The major point I make from my experience with retirement is the steps involved are deciding to retire, having the financial wherewithal to do that, deciding to adopt a particular lifestyle, and then there's a process of adapting to that lifestyle, whatever it is. Horses, you know, you've never been around a horse and suddenly in your 70s, you're taking up riding. It's quite a learning curve. Uh, you're dealing with a thousand pound animal, and that can be a bit intimidating on on close quarters. I've been stepped on by my little one twice, and she was at least six hundred pounds when she first stepped on me. So uh, that that that's good for a month of hobbling around. And if you haven't been around horses and you don't intuitively know how to deal with them, it takes a while to figure it all out. On the other hand, it's great because it's captivating. It's time consuming. You can spend between feeding horses, mucking out a corral, exercising them, grooming them. You're probably good for four hours a day if you want to do that every day. And that's before you start writing them. (laughs) Right, right. Well, you're really expanding your mind with all this this new knowledge. I look at retirement as an opportunity to do something that some of the people I went to school with got to do when they graduated from high school. They were trust fund babies. They could take a year off and travel Europe. Then they could go to a top college. Then they could graduate and experiment with different things, import, export, writing, whatever it was. They didn't have to worry about an income. Well, I'm now in that situation. So within the limits of my savings, I can also experiment. And so far, it's all worked out for the good. Beautiful. And I'm a happier camper. I should add, we started to move from Sedona in, I guess I started packing some things up in December 2020. By May 2021, when the house went onto the market, I had dropped from 155 pounds to 135 pounds. Nice. And that's just renovating the house for sale and working around the ranch. 
It's a very healthy lifestyle. You look uh, good. A lot better. I gotta tell you. So I highly recommend it to those who are, you know, willing to willing to adopt the lifestyle and spend the time adapting to having adopted the lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I feel very inspired by everything you're saying. I'm gonna be reaching your camp very soon. I'm feeling it. I was very anxious. <laughs> I was, you know, I mean, look, I put in my papers. Last day on payroll was December seventh, twenty twenty one. And even though my university had sick leave, uh, so I kind of took that first, and then I effectively was retired December 7th. But I mean, this podcast was kind of a segue. So I don't feel, you know, maybe I'm semi-retired because this podcast is full-time work. Let me tell you. <laughs> oh, I believe it. <laughs> and I haven't quite gotten to the things that I also want to do. I'm going to supplement this because we do enjoy this. It's a labor of love. And we, we get to meet really nice people like yourself. We're learning so much. Our minds are expanding. But when I sit back and I think, you know, I can get up whenever I want, go to bed whenever I want, there's this anxiety and depression also because all your life you've moved up to that ladder, that step. And now I don't want to say I'm coming down from those steps, but it's a, it's a different life. And that's how I'm thinking of it. And I just heard a podcast where an author by the late, by the name of Riley Moines, you'd be interested in that Riley Moines. He talks about the four stages of retirement. A lot of people haven't, to my satisfaction, been able to articulate those steps acceptable way to my weird mind. He clicked it for me, kind of. And, and you're kind of adding to that. And our recent podcast guest also said, don't think about volunteer work so much. You know, you sit on boards, you, you volunteer this, you volunteer that. And it feels so close to your former job in a way. You've got to kind of do something if you happen to like it. I mean, you know, you lucked out, you happen to love horses. And so for you, it, I mean, as we listen and the audience doesn't see your face, but we see you light up every time you say soul or Katrina, you know, we see you light up. And I think that is what matters. And when I think about the things that I enjoy, I don't even realize where I am or how old I am or whatever. So kudos to you, Bob. And thank you. Really? Yeah. No, I appreciate everything that yeah, you've said. You sound and, like you're loving life out there in Cottonwood. Yeah. And, and I think you make a very good point that retirement should not be like work. Right. You're doing things that you're doing because they remind you of what you did at work. Why did you retire? You know, <laughs> stay on the job and get paid for it. Right, right, right. Um, but I, use I, those I, skills, right? I mean, we have those skills, like the forensic accounting, like you said, the research. You know, I have used every one of those skills and not because I was a lawyer, but I needed those skills and I'm, I need them now. Like I'm looking for to keep my plants free from fruit flies. I am learning that I need a particular type of gravel. So don't you know, I'm Googling all over. I am now the expert, by the way on fruit flies, if anyone wants to know. Okay. Gil and Chan. in New York who could yeah. use your expertise. <laughs> that was great, Bob. Thank you so much. Yeah. We really well, appreciate you taking the time out to talk to us again. Should you move again? Okay. You, you're committed to another episode of Retire <laughs> There. <laughs> well, with home in Sedona, we're supposed to be our forever home, which means you're never going to move. And as my father used to say, never, never say forever, say never. One never knows. I, I right. did see the ranch property for sale oh, no. close to Flagstaff. Uh -huh. <laughs> Beautiful property. I was told it was 1.2 million. Hmm. When I found the listing, it was 1.8 million out of my price range. Come on. Yeah. After you renovated this place. Stay where you are. <laughs> Stay in place. Irene doesn't want to leave. I don't blame her. I don't her. blame her either. All right. Thank you so much, Bob. Yeah. Okay. Stay in touch. To you guys. You too. Bye -bye. Talk care. to you soon. Take care. Bye, -bye. Bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you know someone who's relocated for retirement and wishes to share their story with us, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Our email address is gg at retiredthere.com. Our website is retirethere.com and you may follow us on Twitter at retirethere underscore. Now, if you've liked our show, please subscribe and rate it in Apple Podcasts. In the meantime, be well. Be well.